Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. Today we are delighted to welcome back Jacob Cook, co-founder and CEO of WPIC Marketing and Technologies. In our conversation with Jacob, we talk about China's Golden Week and its impact on consumer trends. Jacob discusses the positive consumption data with over 800 million domestic trips and more than 100 billion in spending. He highlights the booming sectors of personal consumption, travel, athleisure, and lifestyle brands, while acknowledging weakness in real estate. Jacob also talks about the rise of special forces tourism and predicts continued growth in off-the-beaten-path destinations. We also touch on the upcoming Singles Day and the relationship between real estate prices and consumption. Enjoy. The local sort of regional countries like Thailand, Malaysia, South Korea are actually reporting far more tourists than they got in 2019. International trips, I think what we're seeing right now is numbers are coming in around the 80 to 85 percent mark. But that's really showing a boost, like I said, in Malaysia, Thailand, South Korea, where the air capacity has been completely restored, if not more than 2019. We've seen demand for further intercontinental travel be there, but there just isn't the capacity. Airlines have struggled to add more flights, especially with the Russia situation and the airspace being closed. But the demand is certainly there because we've seen the visa application be at record highs. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half of the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market that no globally-minded organization should ignore. But entering markets like China, Japan, or Southeast Asia is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. However, times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success growing their key markets in APAC. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies grow in the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful Asia market entry and growth strategies by interviewing the experts who've done it before and truly understand what it takes to be successful in the region. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation. Brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Jacob, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Todd. Like I said, Golden Week in China just wrapped up. You were on Bloomberg to share your analysis on consumer trends that you observed. What does some of the data say about consumption during the week? And what are your thoughts on the state of the consumer? More of what I think the media is calling green shoots, but we're seeing sort of that third month in a row of really good news in terms of consumption. You know, we had a little extra time here this week. So we had an eight day holiday because of the way mid-autumn festival fell on the Friday. So we really actually gave eight days off in a row. Um, so this was a major opportunity for consumption. And quite frankly, it delivered and it delivered big time. Um, you know, I think there was some talk about expectations even being higher for this. But, you know, here's what really happened. You know, Ministry of Culture and Tourism is now reporting about nine hundred million domestic trips and close to 110 billion dollars in spending you know that's way up uh way up from where they came before and even if we came in at like 825 once the final numbers are calculated that's going to be anywhere from you know four to five percent up on the 2019 level so it indicates full recovery um you know, it, there's a, a tons of private sector data out there, too, as well, that we've been sorting through. You know, Meituan is showing actually 153 uh, percent increases in services and retail uh, from 2019. Consumption for dine-in up 254 percent from 2019. Fliggy and C-Trip, Fliggy is Alibaba's uh, a travel booking website, said usage of hotel rooms uh, and flight, tooking, flight tickets was up big time from 2019. So really kind of across the board, all the big platforms who have access to this data have really said it was, you know, um, very, very strong. 
Alipay, um, individual users spending up 105% from 2019 during Golden Week. So obviously that has a lot to do with Alipay adoption, but you know every one of those data points is is very very strong. Some of the banks are are saying that they're a little bit uh, disappointed in some of the data and attributing it to the property sector, but you know they're still stressing that recovery is still ongoing. I think that. You know, like I said before, it's been really hard to have these predictions about this year because what really happened is in, in December, I think a lot of companies, what we said is we didn't know there were a lot of talk about consumer stimulus. We didn't know if that was going to happen or not. So we came up with these lines. You know, this is what consumer spending is going to look like with uh, stimulus. And then this is what it's going to look like without. We probably put our forecast right in the middle. Of course, we haven't had, you know, checks like we've had in the West with consumer stimulus. But in general, um, if you look it out, there's some sectors that are still weak, like large durable appliances, furniture and auto. But personal consumption, travel, these types of things, athleisure, sports equipment, supplements, pet are booming, you know, especially lifestyle brands. So, you know, there is going to be weakness in the real estate sector going forward. This was planned. It's intentional. And that is going to bring down large durables. But if you take those out of consumption, we're still in double digit growth. Yeah. And I don't see that being very different than what's happening in the West. I mean, housing is is getting hurt. Lots of talk, lots of rhetoric. Everybody's trying to figure out how to fix it. And yet we're seeing 8% borrowing rates for housing. And I would imagine that some of those same sectors get the same impact on the Western side. Yeah, I, I I think I would agree with that quite a bit. Yeah, not that you're an expert on the Western side, nor should you be. That's why you're on the show, not to be that. You're on the Eastern side. What about, you mentioned some of the travel, right? What are some of the trends around travel this year? Well, one of them that was I thought was pretty cool was the sort of special forces tourism, where uh, nicknamed in Chinese, basically it's a lot of young people doing these sort of budget-friendly trips to many, many different places. So they're trying to hit, and of course, we just have incredible infrastructure for travel inside this country, whether it's highway systems or high-speed rail that's going everywhere, that really allows people to do this, go to places that they normally wouldn't have. Um, but it's not, you know, the tour groups like their parents did, you know, it's more of them figuring out using apps like Little Red Book, Xiaohongshu, Trip. Fliggy, these ones to really make their own trips themselves. And they're going to places that are off the beaten path um, that might be on the less expensive side. But quite frankly, the real authentic experiences. And, and I got to admit, even when I was back home in the summer, you know, doing those podcasts with you, we were using Xiaohongshu even to see what was going on in my neighborhood. And I'm from there. So there's actually a lot of really good content globally on these platforms that sort of helps you guide you to a lot of places. And some of them might be parks and, and, and things like that that are fairly low cost. But, you know, I think that's just goes to more sophistication as that goes into in compared to weaker spending power. You know, like I said, I mean, even I was using them. So uh, I had very, very valuable information there. You know, customized travel products, I think if you looked at it, there were numbers around 20%. Places like Ningxia, Inner Mongolia, you know, were way up in terms of tourism. And this is probably places that people didn't really think was an option even like four or five years ago. Um, music festivals, educational trips, there's just tons of things going on over this. You know, Hanfu photography, it really, really interesting stuff. And you're starting to see those photos and that content, you know, from these trips getting back into Xiaohongshu and social media right now. And it's very, very interesting. And I suspect this trend is really going to continue because once those people have done that, seen that it's successful, it's like, wow, I want to do that too. So I think these trends are, are going to be here to stay. Once they work, then they double down. What about international travel? Did people go abroad during Golden Week? Yeah, well... Abroad, I think it, it, it's a couple of different ways. So uh, the local sort of regional countries like Thailand, Malaysia, South Korea are actually reporting far more tourists than they got in 2019. International trips, I think what we're seeing right now is numbers are coming in around the 80 to 85 percent mark. But that's really showing a boost, like I said, in Malaysia, Thailand, South Korea, where the air capacity has been completely restored, if not more than 2019. We've seen 
demand for further intercontinental travel be there, but there just isn't the capacity. Airlines have struggled to add more flights, especially with the Russia situation and the airspace being closed. But the demand is certainly there because we've seen the visa applications be at record highs. I don't really have a good answer for you that on on when that's going to be restored. You know, we've been hearing three months, three months, three months for these flights to come back for a long time now. And we're getting close to a year into reopening and we're nowhere near capacity. I mean, Air Canada is flying four flights a week to all of China, you know, when they were, you know, probably four a day to most major cities, you know, 2019. So, and the U.S. capacity is no better. Um, European capacity may be a little bit stronger because at least they can go and they have those drop-off points in Qatar and the Middle East. But, you know, there's tons of people even flying from Europe through Ethiopia right now, which tells you how hard it is to get those flights. Yeah, I remember back in the day looking at flights going back and forth. You know, I think they had two planes running to at least each of of Shanghai and Beijing that were just 12 hours apart, crossing each other in midair, going every day. They had the same flight numbers, you know, like with CA-20, CA-21, that type of thing. Very, very frequent, every day covered, and you had a lot of options. And I also wonder if Golden Week is long enough for international travel, the way that, let's say, the Chinese like to do it as well. You've got not only the travel days, but you've also got the jet lag days. And then you have to think about whether it's even worth it during Golden Week to make that trip. Yeah, I think you would definitely have to put some PTO either on the front or the back end of that. Um, and certainly the people that, you know, in our organization that did make those trips did that. But you're right. Uh, that's probably some of it. But really, Todd, I, I think it's really down to capacity. You know, you're still talking with that limited capacity flight costs for economy, probably two or three times what they were pre-pandemic business class, like five or six. And, and really, there's no end in sight to those prices coming down. Yeah. And if we were on this side of the ocean, I would be looking at staffing and the staffing issues that pretty much all sectors are having, at least over here. And if, if we're not being able to process enough travel visas, that's what I would be looking at as, you know, and obviously at the airports and with the pilots and I think staffing comes down to a lot of it. The demand is there, but can you staff enough to be able to facilitate that demand? You know, that's exactly right. There's huge backlogs of Boeing and Airbus for new planes. You know, tons of of, of models were taken out of service during the pandemic and, and you know, staff were, went into early retirement. And it's not easy to scale that back. You know, there's record demand. I mean, it's just much easier to get to Europe where you don't have those Russia problems in terms of airspace. So, yeah, there's problems that need to be worked out and probably governments need to get involved if there's really, you know, the incentive to do this. But, you know, if an airline's able to take, you know, a fifth amount of planes and charge five times as much, you know, there's not as a lot of financial incentive for them to add new capacity either. No, there is not. Okay, big day coming up next month. Less, yeah. what are we, a month out maybe? November 11th, Singles day. day. Singles Day. One of the biggest dates circled on the calendar. How are you feeling heading into Singles Day this year? I'm feeling really good, Todd. Really good. Better than I have in a lot of years. I think just the numbers that we've seen, you know, record setting e-commerce in August, very, very strong September, great golden week consumption. Um, I think people are feeling a lot more secure in their jobs. And in some areas, and this is probably not a popularly held opinion, but there is some data supporting that there's actually an inverse relationship between real estate prices uh, and consumption. And I say this because of some studies we did way back, you know, six or seven years ago in Shaman, when real estate shot up, you know, 300%, I think it was in two years, we actually saw sales of iPhones and things like that kind of fall off a cliff because, you know, of course, there's not a lot of money left over when, when couples are spending 50 or 60% of their household income on their mortgages. And again, I think we also have to look at this 
from a sector by sector basis, assuming that we know real estate weakness is going to be weak going into the future, we can't group large durables, in my opinion, um, it, with all of consumption and just say, hey, consumption's only up a couple percentage points. There clearly isn't going to be a lot of consumption on those very, very big ticket items. But when we look at a lot of things that we've talked about, health and wellness, athleisure, uh, nutraceuticals, these are way, way up. Um, people are taking more trips. They're eating out more. They're spending more money on themselves. They're staying healthier. And these habits, spending more money on pets, um, these habits are here to stay. And we're seeing very big increases in them. We're also seeing, you know, luxury handbags, luxury clothing and apparel come back too as well. Um, so I think we're very, very optimistic about this year's 11-11, more so than I have been in the last three or four years. Um, you know, we'll get with some actual percentage number predictions here pretty quickly. And it's going to be, you know, kind of based on what we see for inventory levels um, as well as add inventory. But once we kind of have those numbers and we know what we're looking at, we'll be able to make some calculations. As you know, last year, we said 11-11 is going to show up about 10 to 12 or all of e-commerce for 11-11 is going to be 10 to 12 percent higher. Some add it, Some people had it at 11 post the government and then some people had it at 13. So we were right in line last year with our predictions and we feel fairly confident that we'll be very accurate this year as well. Okay. Well, even if it's an unpopular opinion or decision or thought, I'm certainly going to put my money on the guy who built and has his hands on that Descripto software because I know you guys have been do- using that for a long time. And so that's what I'm going to put my... No, not that it... No shade on you. I mean, of course, I'd put my money on you, but I'd rather put my money on Descripto to be frank. Hey, that's where I'm getting my data from. Yeah, exactly. I got a bit of an off-the-cuff question talking about the trends and things. Is there a time, maybe we're at that time, or maybe there will be a time where would it would it be naive to start predicting trends things that we're seeing in the east knowing that we had some predictors or we went through this 5 10 years ago in the west can we potentially draw any conclusions or outcomes or data from stuff that happened in the west when when pet stuff shot up or athleisure shot up um lululemon went just bonkers, that kind of stuff. Does that ever play out the same way? You know, it's a good question. I, yeah, you know, in some cases that, that could be true. I think a lot, especially as these brands have kind of figured out because of course they have large diasporas in their original overseas markets. I think for sure some of that data was used in terms of what was going to be popular here and predictive here. I think trends have been going both ways for a long time. It certainly isn't a way that we gather a lot of our data by looking at the West and assuming that those trends are going to go here. We are really sort of looking at what's going on here, trends, patterns, using linear regression, this type of math to predict into the future. But, you know, it's interesting, Todd. Maybe uh, maybe I'll look into that. By the next podcast, I'll have a better answer for you. Okay. Appreciate you tackling that one. Thanks very much. Now, on to South Korea. We had MJ Park on last week to give us a market overview. Now we'd like to hear what your thoughts are. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm here in Korea now. This is a massive market. You know, there's 120 billion in e-commerce spend. It's the fifth largest in the world. And, you know, the penetration rate is insane. There's something like 97% of young consumers shop online regularly. You know, as MJ explained last week, the ecosystem is almost entirely different from elsewhere in APAC and the West. Some overlapping social media channels like Instagram, TikTok, and Line. But other than that, they're almost completely unique in in ecosystems for product delivery and shopping. So Naver is huge, obviously, and they've been around for a while. Copang is kind of one of the newer ones, been public for a few years. And Kakao Talk, we're investing big right now to build up our presence here because the market is absolutely booming, but brands are really struggling to understand how to succeed in the market. They need local support, and that's where expert consultants like MJ Park come in. Agreed. 
I wanted to ask a little bit about, and, and for brands, trying to think of what brands might want to know. I wanted to ask you about hard infrastructure needs when you're going to a place like South Korea. We've always had this principle and the way we've built up our APAC footprint is to kind of have single source inventory so that we can move through bonded warehouses, one source of inventory throughout all these different markets. Of course, seasonality, weather patterns are different, demand patterns are different. And by using AI and other business intelligence tools that we have, what we're really trying to do is move those ad dollars around amongst a much wider geographical area, keep inventory available for all these different platforms, and just really reduce what we would call the customer acquisition cost. So every customer comes with a price and throughout APAC and the wider area that we operate in, not only do economies of scale come in in terms of your content development, model shoots, product shots, et cetera, but you know you can start to get really efficient in terms of which country, which geo, when you're operating across 12 different countries, you know, and a couple billion people of who's going to be buying that product next, you know, apparel, winter apparel, outerwear, you know, changes with temperature patterns, sports trends, things like that. Where's, where's running becoming popular? Where's yoga becoming popular? I'm um, measuring this all the time and moving ad dollars around accordingly. And that talk about that hard infrastructure, it really does have to do with logistics, free trade zones. And with our CEP around in this region too, it's making moving products at large quantities faster, easier, and more efficient to really be able to do and fulfill what the vision that I have for WPIC is. Thanks very much, Jacob. Always hard, quick, and fast hitting. Thanks very much for being on the show again. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. And uh, and looking forward to watching this again on YouTube. You betcha. All right. So as he mentioned, for everybody looking for a little bit more video, a little bit more content, we've got the YouTube shorts as well. So head on over to the WPIC YouTube channel. And for those who want it audio only because they are going to be driving or working out or such, please feel free to hit up any of your podcast favorites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you name it. Thanks very much, everybody, for listening. And we will see you next time. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking at the Asia-Pacific region for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands, just like yours, enter China, Japan, and Southeast Asia. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation, and if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co, and be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.